Because when you vilify a drug, you're really vilifying the people who are associated with that drug or who uses those drugs. Welcome to the Doctor Patient Forum, a no holds barred patient advocacy podcast discussing why millions of pain patients continue to suffer, but most importantly, who caused the suffering. Join us weekly as we discuss how you can help end the untreated pain crisis. So, Bev, uh, about maybe six months ago, uh, somebody tagged me about this doctor, Carl Hart, and then you, you had been following him a while already. And for some reason I ended up in his DMS and I said, would you like to come on our podcast? And he said, sure. And you and I were flabbergasted. So this was, this was success for us because Carl is recognized throughout the country. Can you believe we were able to land him as a guest? No, and I'll never forget because I was so discouraged that day because of so many things going on with advocacy. And I was just like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And you called me, you were like, I have some news that will cheer you up. And you're like, we're interviewing Carhartt. I was like, what? Because to me, I mean, he's a celebrity. This is, this is huge for us. And I still can't believe that we interviewed him. I was a nervous wreck. I was making you a nervous wreck, but um, I think it went really well. So yeah, it was a it was a great interview. Yes, I was just as nervous. I wasn't as nervous until <laughs> you were nervous. Uh, and that was just a crazy day. But folks, sit back, listen to what this man has to say and applaud him on Twitter and welcome to season two of the Dr. Patient Forum podcast. If you are following us, you follow us because you know what's happening to millions of pain patients in the United States. People can no longer access adequate pain relief. And season one was truly a success. Don't forget, follow us at the drpatientforum.com. Season two, episode one. We are thrilled, absolutely thrilled to bring this guest to the Dr. Patient Forum listeners. Uh, He is, you know, he's a celebrity in in my opinion. He's a well-regarded neuroscientist, a fierce advocate for upholding constitutional rights when it comes to consuming any substance. He's the chair of the Department of Psychology at Columbia University. I am enamored with your work. Uh, so, and, and Bev turned me on to you. I'm just really stoked that we can do this uh, and bring these people some hope. Because- yeah, well, you know, uh, thank you all uh, for even being interested. And uh, one of the things that you did, you all did, was you made the connection between uh, what I'm doing and then what uh, people suffering with pain. So thank you for really highlighting that and keeping it in the public, even better than me. So really thank you. Do me a favor, folks. Check out his TED Talk. It's called Let's Quit Abusing Drugs. Welcome to the show, Dr. Carl Hart. Oh, thank you. Please call me Carl. I I saw a quote of yours, many quotes, and I have them all before me. One of your quotes that really struck me is you said, people are dying because of ignorance, not opioids. Explain to our followers what that means. I'll say it in two ways. The simple way, what I mean is that um, the national hysteria about the opioid epidemic 
is uh, not that people aren't dying because there are some people who are dying, um, uh, but they're dying primarily because they get contaminated drug. They don't really know what it is in their drug. Uh, and that, so that's ignorant. And that ignorance can be remedied by simply making sure that people have access to drug checking facilities in which they can test what's in their substance. And once they know if they, what's in their substance, then they don't have to take some potentially toxic compound. That's, that's one sort of form of ignorance. Another form of ignorance is that, um, uh, let's just say people are seeking opioids effects and, and, and they, they have pills like Percocet. Percocet has uh, a large amount of acetaminophen in it, about 500 milligrams, and a small amount of oxycodone in it, five milligrams. Um, so if someone really wants to get like an opioid effect, they have to take, oh, 10, 20 of those pills to get up to the doses that are needed to have really nice opioid effects. But if you've taken 10 or 20 of those pills on consecutive days, you run the risk of shutting your liver down, not from the opioid, the opioid effect, you're fine. It's the acetaminophen that will shut down your liver and people don't know that. And we're not telling people these sort of things. Not to mention that there are people who don't know uh, not to mix certain uh, sedatives like um, large amounts of alcohol, benzodiazepines, gabapentin, along with large amounts of opioids. Um, and so, but these are like large amounts. These are the types of ignorance that I was trying to describe. And these types of ignorance are easy to remedy, but um, uh, the national conversation only has the public focus on the opioid, like the opioid is the problem when the opioid really isn't the problem. The problem is ignorance. Yeah. So Bev and I, we're pain patients, right? We both have Crohn's disease. We both did about 10 years in a hospital bed. Just a real, it was just a terrible existence. And right around 2015, Carl, I started to notice that I would hear the term drug seeker when I would get admitted to the hospital. And I just remember thinking, if this is happening to me, if I'm being accused of seeking out drugs, this is going to be happening to other people. Eventually, our advocacy would lead us to the untreated pain crisis in, in the United States. And in 2016, the CDC created the or they published these guidelines and President Trump launched this war on prescribers, launched this war on, on opiates. And we can't live in a civilized society. And along the way, Bev would introduce me to harm reduction. And when I would meet with Lum. I would bite to say, oh, my God, you, we need opiates. Opiates are a good thing, especially for chronically ill people. People would look at me like I was crazy. And then I started to, you know, search your work. And I learned that you had used heroin as, uh, you know, and then you were discussing heroin use and how a lot of people aren't, they don't become addicted. I can only imagine how people treated you when you first started to have this conversation oh you you've said so much in, in, in that paragraph um, that's the italian in me oh my god you, you just said so much uh, and you i want to thank you because you you remind me that real people are suffering real pain as a result of our stupidity and as a result of our 
uh, morality uh, and our puritanical behavior. And so thank you, uh, because um, now I want to just take a step back. Uh, in my latest book, Drug Use for Grown Up, I said that, yeah, of course, I use heroin uh, along with a wide range of other drugs that I talked about in the book. Uh, but the press focused almost exclusively on heroin um, and trying to take advantage of our uh, inglorious history of vilifying heroin users and uh, playing on those stereotypes of the heroin user who is, I don't know, uh, in the alley with a needle stuck in their uh, vein and the person looks disheveled and and um, um, uh, withdrawing. And so the press tried to play on that. But the reason why I said that I used heroin is because I wanted to show people like, okay, look at the evidence. Um, I'm an accomplished person um, and, uh, and I'm responsible. Um, been in the military. I, I, I serve my community. I volunteer. I'm on all of these boards. I'm doing all of these things to try to, and, and I'm trying to help people to understand that this is a typical person who uses opioids, somebody who's responsible, somebody who we say we, we, we want them to behave like that. But yet the public really, or the press really wanted to hang on to this image of the awful opioid user. That's one, and what's even worse is that this is happening in a context of the country rethinking how it views psychedelic medications where uh, the country is saying things like, uh, oh, plant medicine is good. We love plant medicines without recognizing that opioids <laughs> are the ultimate plant medicines. Right. Um, and, and they are like the real, the first plant medicine because in part because humans pain is the sort of thing that humans first had to deal with and and, and but the country somehow manages to uh, ignore that and people don't ask those kind of questions like wait wait what do you mean uh, plant medicines are good and then you are vilifying opioids and the people who use opioids because when you vilify a drug you're really vilifying the people who are associated with that drug or who uses those drugs and, and that's one of the things I tried to get people to focus on in the new book. Uh, this is really about taking care of people, uh, taking, making sure that people are good and not um, unfairly uh, vilifying people. Uh, uh, but uh, I have to tell you, it's been a real difficult uh, battle. In fact, I, you know, I have to live between the United States and Switzerland because I just cannot do the U.S. and the meanness and the hypocrisy and the suffering. It's just too hard to watch every day and, um, without really uh, going crazy uh, myself. So I, I can't do the U.S. Uh, uh, on a year uh, on a sure. year round basis. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't blame you. I mean, this is why I love listening to you talk, because you, you just said so much that I I agree with so much of what you say. When I heard, when I read what you put in your book and that you were, you know, talking about that you've tried different substances um, to try to show people that not every person who takes 
a drug or drinks a substance becomes addicted. And I was like, this is great. And then, oh my gosh, you were crucified. I think it was the Washington Post and then subsequent interviews. And I was like, do any of these people even hear themselves? If they thought that every time you take a substance, you become addicted, how come the whole country isn't sitting outside alcohol stores every day, all day. They don't even even listen to uh, how they sound. And then, you know, things have gotten so much worse for pain patients since we started this. And it's so funny because government is now latched on to this idea of harm reduction, but only the way they want to talk about it. So the same people who are like, yes, we need to provide methadone or suboxone to people with OUD are the same people saying, put every doctor in prison and no pain patient should have access to any opioids. And it's a contradiction. It doesn't make any sense at all. You're absolutely right. This is, this is one of the problems with even using terms like harm reduction. I, I, I don't like to use those terms. I like to describe precisely what it is that we're talking about. Because when you're using those conversations, you're in a conversation with someone who's saying, oh yeah, harm reduction is good. But their description of what they're doing it's horrifying. And yeah. so that's why you want to keep people focused on what it is that, that they're doing. Um, I, I, I want to share a, a story just how, um, um, how what can happen if we, uh, if we don't first consider people and consider people's just basic fundamental right to uh, liberty, pursuit of happiness, if we don't consider that first. So there, there was a researcher, uh, a guy who was at Yale many years ago, Frank Gowen. Frank Gowen was—he's a psychiatrist, and he was—he uh, was one of the guys who was promoting the hysteria surrounding crack cocaine, uh, talking about how uh, the drug uh, is so unique it grips the brain and makes the user uh, in in. Um, in able to escape crack addiction. And he, he played a big role in spreading this hysteria. Fast forward to now. This same guy now is a chronic pain patient who's, who's been cut off by his physician because of the current national hysteria about opioids. And he doesn't make the connection of his past behavior and how he did the same sort of thing and how he contributed to this mass hysteria as it relates to drugs. And that is a case of chickens coming home to roost. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, and, or, and this or is, karma. Uh, Carl, that's called karma where I'm from. That's karma, absolutely. And this is the thing that we want other people to recognize. It may be someone else's substance today, but it will be you and your substance tomorrow. Make no mistake about it. If we allow people to behave in the selectively awful ways uh, based on the sort of morality of the day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's a researcher we work with, Carrie Judy, and she tells me all the time, they're really using the blueprint they used for crack hysteria all the way down to even crack babies. And, and it's so much the same and it didn't work then and it was a lie then and it's a lie now and they're still doing it. I mean, do you know how many people, I mean, they hate us because you know, we're not celebrities at all, but but people still message us and they hate us because they're like, my son died from an opioid overdose and you're going to kill people by what you say. And they'll be like, my husband took got oxycodone after surgery and he was fine. And he took one pill of oxycontin. He was an immediate 
addict and he died because of it. And I'm like, do you even know how ridiculous that sounds? Because it's the same drug, just a slower release. Like they, they feel like it's a magical compound like they did with crack, even though it's, isn't it pharmacologically similar, crack and cocaine? It's just they removed what? Salt. Yeah, they are essentially the same drug. It's just that if you want to smoke it, you have to remove the hydrochloride portion and the hydrochloride portion does not contribute to the biology. So they're the same drug. They're identically identical. Yeah. Uh, but you said something about the people who come at you guys. Uh, um, this, is, this has been one of the surprising things after the release of my book. I didn't expect that group to be so vociferous and so um, uh, intense. Uh, but then, so it made, I had to really think about this when I think about those, the group that you described, uh, I don't know, parents or yeah. even people themselves who may have gotten in trouble with a drug. And but that group needs this narrative. Yes. Because if without this narrative, that group is afraid yeah. that society will look at them yeah. for contributing to the problems of their loved one or themselves. And so it's like, um, uh, it, so it requires a, a tremendous amount of responsibility to uh, drive a car in this country uh, because, you know, you can kill someone if you're not doing it right. Or even to take a drug or all of these kind of things, it requires responsibility. Now, if you can get your government to relieve or, uh, you of that responsibility or absolve you of that responsibility, then um, some people like that. And, and I didn't expect that. But there is something else that's important, too. It's like because your loved one is struggling doesn't necessarily mean that, that it's your problem or that person's problem. We live in a sick society. We can do some things to improve our society. And so we have to help those people to understand yeah. that um, the finger is not necessarily pointed at them. And even if they have some contribution to this mix, it's okay, we can help people do this better if we are first honest. But as long as we are not being honest, we're not going to improve this situation. Carl, I wanna talk with you about another uh, crazy psychiatrist. Now I'm a retired court reporter and every time I would take a psychiatrist deposition, I would shake my head and say, what the hell is this person talking about? They were just the kookiest bunch of people to me. And then I enter this arena and I learn about Andrew Kolodny. And I, I organize a protest outside his, uh, you know, outside his work, Brandeis University. And then I come to find out that he works with these other psychiatrists. Now, those psychiatrists, they're part of this move, uh, this organization, anti-opioid organization. I refer to them as a hate organization, PROP, Healthcare Professionals for Responsible Opioid Prescribing. Kolodny and Dr. Jane Ballantyne and Anna Lemke, uh, another celebidoc, I refer to her. They have undoubtedly caused irreparable harm to our community, and they have attached Morality to a molecule. They refer to pain patients like myself and Bev and our 25,000 memberships as lazy malingerers who just need to take certain medications so they can get their check from the government. These are such hateful, venomous people 
And when you mentioned that other psychiatrist, and Bev had reminded me that I think you had some t- sort of a Twitter interaction with Kolodny in the past. Yeah, um, this was many years ago, and he was uh, no one. No one knew who he was. And so this sort of crusade has elevated his profile. And so um, that's one of the main reasons that he continues to be engaged in this in this. Um, this conversation and, 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 and this uh, pursuit. Um, I, uh, it's really hard for me to um, wrap my head around uh, my feelings about that person because they are so um, um, hateful, my feelings toward him. And, and, and I've been trying to be like a better person myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree absolutely with you when you say that uh, you, you guys should label them a hate group because um, uh, he knows nothing about pharmacology, absolutely nothing. Um, but yet they are allowed to participate in this conversation. They have never published any sort of, uh, uh, for example, lab studies looking at uh, these drugs. Um, you know, for example, at Columbia, uh, every day of the week, we give opioids to people, uh, and we've been doing this for nearly 30 years, studying people in the lab without incident. And also, the American public pays for this with their tax dollars. Uh, we get millions of dollars at Columbia to do this kind of thing. And the people who are doing this research, you never hear from them. But they are benefiting from this um, they're because the, 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 what we say is that, oh, we're studying these drugs for potential problems but never really point out, I mean, we, the papers are published. We, these papers are published where we've given drugs like heroin in combination with other drugs, uh, lots of them, no problems. And then you look at the papers, um, the most the predominant effect are beneficial effects. And this is in the scientific literature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if these drugs are so awful, then why is the federal government paying us millions every year to do this sort of thing. Um, um, and then we report no incident. Um, yeah. um, uh, and so it, it just, it doesn't make any logical, cons- any logical sense. And then people like uh, Andrew and those guys, they don't know this literature um, yeah. because they, they engage in an exchange of ignorance. They don't, they don't care about the literature. Yeah. And it's it's the propaganda is so thick that when I testify, I go up against these bureaucrats and they they repeat the garbage that has come out of that organization. The first time I testified, I remember a bureaucrat in Rhode Island. He was running our Department of Health. He said, well, studies show that opiates don't work for pain. I jumped out of my seat. I said, stop misapplying studies. I said, that is a lie. And people looked at me like I was a hostile, crazed nut, which is true in part sometimes. But I just said, (laughs) enough is enough. This is bullshit. This is lies. People need opiates to live. We we are vilifying an FDA-approved opiate. And and now, Carl, we we get phone calls. You couldn't imagine. I don't think people have any idea call us before they attempt suicide people call me from the emergency room people veterans who served our country lost limbs call us and say the va they've taken me off of my benzo 
and my pain medication, or they've had to choose between uh, pain medication or benzodiazepine. But now, now people who have been in recovery with Suboxone, now their doctor has stopped prescribing because we have doctors who are incarcerated for prescribing uh, people with sickle cell. Carl, they go to the emergency room, they're treated like dogs. And when I get on the phone to advocate for people, my first question is, what the hell is going on? They're in a hospital. Yeah. Why, are they, why are they begging? What are you doing yeah. here? Yeah, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's awful. And, you know, you had talked about the parents you had mentioned, you know, that, and we've thought that for a long time, that it, it kind of gives them an out so that they don't have to feel any kind of responsibility. But I think even beyond that, that a lot of these parents, I think the core group, Andrew Kaladi, these people, they know that what they're saying isn't true, but they also know it's very lucrative. But I, I do believe a lot of these parents, because this is how they, they passed a lot of this stuff. They, they got, you know, a, a group of mothers together who child had died, didn't even have to be prescription. And, and they went to the FDA and they bullied people. And it's the, it, they exploited these parents' grief because I do think a lot of the parents do feel that this is how we could prevent other parents from going through the same thing. But one thing, first of all, I want to know from you, why do you think these people, this one group, because it's always the same group, why have they been allowed to dictate policy? Why is everyone letting this happen? And is it really about money? Well, yeah, it's in the U.S., it's always about money. Yeah. <laughs> so when we think about just the war on drugs, and I'm, I'm using that general term just to mean like our drug control policy, uh, the stated budget budget is about $42 billion uh, every year now. Now, there's a lot of people whose salaries are paid because of that. There are a lot of sort of grants and funding that go out uh, to various organizations for that. And so um, all people have to do these days is say that they're, they have some program that's focused on the opioid epidemic. They don't even really need to have a skill. And, and so when you have those kind of incentives, uh, you better believe people will be there to get that kind of, to get the money. So I think the money is really driving this sort of thing. And, and that makes it really difficult to change the situation because you can imagine a politician trying to explain to his or her constituents that they're going to look deeper into these overdoses and they're not sure if opioids are causing it. And now that means it's going to require a little bit of explanation. And the public don't really have the time for that kind of, they don't have the uh, attention span for it. And so it's just easier for everyone just to say the opioid crises. And they say illogical things and if you're not thinking, which most of the public is not when, when it comes to this, they say things like uh, opioid uh, addicts are uh, overdosing on opioids. It's like, that's just illogical. It, it, the people who are less likely to overdose are people who uh, may uh, meet criteria for uh, addiction because they are tolerant. You know? But these kind of things, logic goes out of the window. And uh, related to that kind of logic, when I think about a place like Switzerland that gives heroin as part of treatment for some people, uh, and the average dose of the people in the programs, programs that's been going on for more than 25 years without incident, and no one has ever overdosed in the program, um, the, the, the average dose is a gram a day. 
that's 1,000 milligrams a day, way more than uh, what people would get in the United States, uh, way more heroin and opioids than uh, we would have in, in um, one of our major cities. And, and, you, and, and you don't have overdoses. And it's so successful. It, it's my, my cousin is in Zurich. And you know what she tells me? She said yeah. she never sees people on the street. She's, they're safe injection sites. Every, these are safe drug users, and they've had nothing but success. Yeah, and they, and they have tons of opioids. Right. Yeah. And so when I try and point this out to people in this country, um, they don't want to hear it. And, no, but no. That, that's Very helping difficult. people walk through logic. And, and, but these are the questions that we have to ask of those folks who are writing these awful newspaper uh, articles on this. Yeah. And that brings me to my next point. What we should do is we should document some sort of uh, effect, some sort of problem, some sort of issue that patients are having. And we, yeah. we should write some things and we should uh, be more forceful because it's the only way we really get in the conversation yeah. if we yeah. write. Yeah, yeah Bev, Bev, and because of Bev, uh, Carl, Bev uh, has collaborated with Maya Solovitz uh, many times. Bev didn't take no for an answer because journalists are so reluctant to cover this. When I go into a news station and I speak with the young reporter, it would probably be easier for me to convince them to let their 10 year old carry a, a gun to school than to explain to them why opiates are safe. Cause they really, I feel like so many people have ingested the Kool-Aid. Even when I meet with senators, like, yeah. Oh my God, we, we go to these wakes all the time. I said, I can assure you, Senator, I don't think any of the wakes you attended is because somebody overdosed on oxycodone alone. No, they I don't. Yeah, they absolutely don't. And the thing is, Carl, this is we we just created a Google form. We're going to put out like this mass survey because, you know, you'll hear the, the DOJ press releases and and congratulating themselves because we arrested 17 more doctors. But nobody talks about the patients. We're the ones who hear from these patients who are 100% medically abandoned, not able to find another prescriber, not able to even find another doctor because they're afraid because of these algorithms flagging the doctors. They're medically abandoned to either kill themselves, go to the street and try not to die, that we try to get harm reduction resources to them. But media will not talk about it. And worse than that, with all of these researchers, all of these scientists, which like I've heard you say, I mean, researchers are also getting jobs because of the war on drugs. Nobody is measuring patient outcome from law enforcement action, medical board action, state laws that have been created. No one's counting it. No one's measuring patient outcome. You'll have you know, studies that one study just came out the other day where they're like, oh, motor vehicle accidents, they're 23% fewer opioids in the system than were in 2016. Well, obviously, because no one's getting them anymore. And then they're like, so this means 2016 guidelines have been successful. Successful, it depends on what you're measuring. Successful, like, yeah, you've cut everyone off of pain medication. You've caused people to lose everything, kill themselves, go to the street and die. It, but yeah, sure, you you managed to get $50 billion or whatever by the end of this multi-district litigation. And you managed to start an entire new industry of opioid elimination in this country. Um, sure, it's been successful. But how come no one's measuring it? Like, we do speak to some researchers. One tried to get a grant to measure patient abandonment. They were turned down. 
It's like they don't even want to measure it. Why? Yeah, it's not Vogue. It's not in Vogue. It's not the thing to, to do. And frankly, many of the researchers who, who study these drugs don't know shit about drugs. <laughs> I mean, that's that's keep it real. Yeah. Um, they um, they have also been uh, seduced by the hysteria yeah. and also uh, equally misinformed. I mean, this is in part why, why I wrote the book to like learn about drugs myself. I mean, I've been studying drugs in the lab for more than 20 years. And frankly, I was quite ignorant. And then so, you know, I, I kind of went in, into to the natural ecology and, and, and learned some things that tried to complement what I knew in the lab. And so um, we are not going to be saved by researchers. The people who will save you all and us are people like you who are um, uh, activists who are actually uh, studying and doing the work and digging deeper. Um, I think about this just like ACT UP did in the early 1980s. I think about those kind of groups uh, when, when, whenever there is a movie that's released and it has some awful betrayal of opioids. We need to be there and we need to say whenever there are major uh, newspaper articles written about opioids that just are, um, uh, are devoid of any real information and, 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 and are inaccurate. We, we need to be there if, because if we are not there to have some consequence to the person who produced that, that uh, awful stuff that's hurting people, uh, they will continue to produce it. I mean, we look around in our art, our comedians, a wide range of people in the, in the culture are participating in this vilification of, of opioids and pain patients uh, and other people who use opioids. I mean, the, if we look at uh, most areas in our society, you'll see that uh, uh, reporters are participating. You'll see that comedians are participating, movie makers are participating, and we have to call them out. I mean, I, I think about conversations that I have with people who I, I, I like and respect. I mean, I, I think about having conversations with people like, um, I don't know, Joe Rogan and talking to Joe about drugs and Joe can be open-minded about these things. And, but yet he, he, he's a, he, he thinks of the horrors of these drugs. This guy announces for um, the UFC, the, the MMA, where they do the <laughs> boxing. They are pummeling each other. They are hurting people. <laughs> And, and yet, and, and yet um, he, uh, he thinks that drugs are dangerous. I'm like, this is fucking amazing. It, right. It is. I mean, you think about it. You know, I love how you talk about, I've heard you break down the different um, like percentage of people who, who use different substances that, that tend to become addicted. And that's one of my favorite things because because of the misinformation and the propaganda, people think like someone takes one pill and they're all of a sudden in the street with a needle in their arm, stealing from their family, murdering their neighbor. And it's not even, it's not factual, but, but it doesn't matter because that's how everyone, that's how everyone fused. I mean, honestly, I'm telling you, if you say to someone, if, if someone's having surgery now and they say to their doctor, can I please have a prescription for opioids? They'd be like, oh, what? Are you crazy? <laughs> have you not seen the opioid crisis? Like they don't even know how to define it. They don't even know what's happening. And you're right. Like people do dangerous things all the time, but they think they would say, I think if you went to the average person in this country right now and said, 
um, is it more dangerous to carry a gun to school or take a, an oxycodone after surgery? I think a lot of them would say oxycodone after surgery. I think people would rather do almost anything than accept a prescription. And then they're wanted to be celebrated and congratulated. You'll hear them all the time being like, well, I got my legs cut off and I only use Tylenol. Well, okay, that was your choice and that's good for you. And I'm glad you did, but I should have that choice also. Like this is America. Well, this is the thing that uh, I try to get people to uh, focus on. We had, I just try to keep it simple and basic for them uh, because these are the same people who consider themselves as being patriots, freedom fighters, whatever. Um, uh, and so if that's the case, then that means that you have to show up to make sure that everybody's uh, uh, right uh, to the pursuit of happiness and life and liberty uh, is protected. Um, and that's where you start. Like uh, you have the basic right to that, to those, those three rights. And, and, and so if that's the case, um, yeah, fine. If you don't want to do opioids or that's absolutely fine, but I don't have the right to tell someone else that they can't do it. And that's where we have to keep the conversation we have to keep it focused right there. If we're not living up to those basic rights, then we are not living up to the most basic thing that we say makes us Americans. Yeah. And I have to tell you, when we first started this in 2017, I didn't know anything about harm reduction. I, and in fact, I was like most other pain patients where I was like, I'm being punished for people with addiction. I'm being punished for their bad deeds that they're doing and it took like really listening to people like Maya and you and Jen Oliva and really like understanding this isn't that way at all we are all being majorly harmed by this disgusting war on drugs and the drug policy and we all need to be fighting together I mean I've heard you talk about I think I heard you in an interview talk about that you had hoped that maybe pain patients who are now being harmed by this war on drugs could could join with other marginalized groups that have been harmed by this for decades. And I'd love to get your idea of how, how do we make that happen? Because we're trying, but we just don't know how to get there. Yeah, one, one of the things that uh, uh, happens is uh, that what that we've done in our societies, for example, that I think I can explain it uh, easier with the cannabis sort of movement. People say things like, um, oh, they only had cannabis and um, and can you believe cannabis is a schedule one drug like heroin? And so they they divide those groups, those users, when in fact the cannabis users should be thinking about uh, their drug use, just like the person who's using opioids. Um, and the psychedelic users should also be thinking about their drug use, just like the persons that are using opioids. And so uh, we have to make sure we do not somehow um, in our um uh, zeal to make sure that we are not vilified. We have to make sure we don't vilify other uh, groups. And, and that's what's going on in the country now. And, and so I, I think you guys are getting it, but the psychedelic movement uh, uh, and the cannabis movement, they, right? they, they still don't get it. No. Well, the, I feel like with our work as advocates, the cannabis community you know, a lot of doctors ask me, why don't you promote cannabis for pain relief? I was like, well, because I've got 25,000 members and maybe 10 have said it helps with their pain. So I'm just not seeing, you know, anecdotally, I'm not, I'm not getting that from people that it works and they, they become hostile. But yeah, I was, I was called in to advocate for a cannabis dispensaries owner's wife who has 
MS. And I said, well, I'm, I thought cannabis was supposed to be the panacea for pain relief. And he's like, no, it right. isn't. Right. But the thing is, every industry now uses it. Like, I do think, I, I think people should have access to whatever substance helps them that they want, whether that's kratom or or cannabis or opioids or whatever it is that helps them, they should have access to it to try it. But you're right. What you talk about, I think you call it like drug exceptionalism or something where you do hear people like, oh, you know, um, mushrooms, they're so great for, or psychedelics are so great for, for depression. And now we should allow that. And, and then you'll have cannabis industry and even kratom industry. They'll testify before government promoting their product by putting down prescription opioids. By vilifying opiates. It's, it's always because of money. And it, it's a really shitty thing to do because the elderly, people with cancer, right? They're being punished because these other industries need to promote their, their drug of choice. And, but I'll, I've got to tell you, Carl, I'm seeing the psychedelics being pushed. Uh, ketamine is being forced on people in the emergency room with they've got kidney stones and you know doctors like well I'll, I'll give you something and they're hooking them up to haldol and ketamine and people are having psychotic trips when for the love of give her some diluted she's passing a huge stone in her ureter but it's always about money carl i gotta ask you something how how are people in switzerland getting their pain treated do you know um, morphine, uh, um, uh, primarily morphine is what, what I'm, I'm really aware of. Um, they use opioid, uh, they use a heroin as well. Um, but I think morphine is the major one. And, and they're still able to get their pain treated. Well, yeah, you, you know, this issue of an opioid crisis is, uh, is uniquely North American. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so this is what you try and help people. That's just what I tried to help people understand that, they use uh, a tremendous amount of opioids in the city of Geneva alone, for example, um, um, and they don't have any of these problems. This is a uniquely North American problem. And that tells you that it's not a drug problem. It is something other than the drugs. And, but the, in, this, uh, in, in, the York, in the North American context, this story it's just too good because there are too many people who benefit from this story. I mean, the people who hate pharmaceutical companies, they benefit because they say the pharmaceutical companies push their drugs on you and then you became addicted and you went to the streets and you got heroin and then you were interacting with these awful people who are selling illicit heroin. Uh, the, those people benefit, the cops benefit, the reporters benefit from writing the bullshit that they write. Uh, movie makers benefit. Um, uh, parents don't have to parent uh, in this domain anymore. Mm -hmm. Everyone is benefiting from this story. Um, uh, and, and so that's why it continues because of the incentives um, that are tied to this, this story. I mean, uh, when we think about what we're doing, we conflate uh, like when we say the, the opioid crises and when you hear people say it, you need to ask folks, what do you mean opioid crises? Are you talking about overdoses? Are you talking about addiction? What do you, and then you ask them to break it down and you say the addiction rates have not changed. Uh, the number of people who use illicit heroin has not changed uh, appreci appreciably 
um, uh, since the 1980s. Uh, and, and so you, you, then you have to break down what they're saying and then challenge it with evidence. And then they, if they talk about overdoses, um, uh, the overdose situation in this country is so fraught with problems because of the people who are doing the death investigations. Uh, most of them are not qualified. Most of them are coroners who have a high school diploma as their last degree. And most of them are not testing for all of the substances that might be in people's body. And most of these deaths, uh, people may have uh, multiple substances in their system and we never know which one actually contributed yeah. to the fatality. And we don't really care. Instead, yeah. uh, it, all we care about is that, is there any way we can plausibly say there's an opioid in their system. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. That's an opioid death. That's what they that's say. That's right. That, and then the doctor gets arrested for the death. Yeah. And exactly. Then, and, and then the doctors, because, you know, Bev was looking over some transcripts from, we've got an 86 year old doctor in prison right now, Dr. Bill Bauer uh, out of Ohio, his crime treating pain. And when Bev was looking at Dr. Tim King, another venomous uh, animal, Right. Seventy five year old man makes his living just testifying against doctors, puts these doctors behind bars for life. And these nobody can even put on a proper case Mm -mm. or and then we learned the toxicology report was was something was awry about it. And I was like, but nobody is fact checking. You know, you know, what we can do, please. We should. Go and get all the cases that that person testified in, and then we'll we will systematically go through the evidence ourselves, and we'll put it on blast. Let's publish something. So that's what we had. It we have a category on our website called "Government Paid Rats." Just with that, we have their we have their transcripts downloaded. I literally highlighted the most asinine things that he said that were out and out lied. Like he said, "No, this is a doctor, an anest- a pain doctor," and he's like. It is shown, science shows that 80% of chronic pain is just psychologically based. And then his his thing he loves to say, like, Dr. Bauer should have known never to prescribe to that woman because she was sexually abused as a child. And so she should would develop addiction. So she should never have been given an opioid. Yes, I would love your help with that. Because let me tell you something. It's ridiculous. I can't believe that no one... It's like, I mean, you make so much sense. Maya makes so much sense. Jen, Oliva, like all these people are out there, but they're just, no one's listening to us. Like no one's listening about these things and they just keep making money and like dope sick. Like you're talking about like these freaking Hulu. It's a cult. It's a cult, Carl. It's like the indoctrination, right? And it's so thick. It's like when you meet with them in person, their eyes are all glossed over. (laughs) And if you even mention why opiates are good, they, you know, you're just (laughs) met with, or, or, you know, with Kolodny, right? If you try to use evidence-based or real science with him, you're met with these ad hominem attacks. But it's it's the same wherever we go. And then sometimes we just feel like giving up because. Trust me, I get it. Lord Lord knows I get it. And right now, like, that's what I told Claudia. I was like texting her when listening to you. I was like, holy shit. He was crucified in in, in media. Just like like. He like you literally in your book. I'm like, this is amazing because you're telling people the truth. And instead of people taking what you're saying to apply it the way you meant it, they use it to be like, he's addicted to heroin. He shoots up 72 times a day. And it's like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's 
right? <laughs> no, no. It's like it's, it's so funny because I'm one of the most vain people you ever want to meet, and I'm afraid to have needle marks because I'm so vain. But people don't uh-huh. care about that kind of thing. No. no, they don't care. They just want to be like Carl Hart, heroin. Like if you were on the Inquirer, that's what it would have said. Maybe they did do, but I don't know. Carl Hart, heroin user. But how do we? So right now, you know, of course, the CDC is now like, oops. The guidelines were too strict. We're loosening them. But it, it's like telling a country, I really feel like it's telling a country who can't have access, don't have access to food, like, this is what you eat for a balanced meal. No one's taking these patients. They're like, oh, you shouldn't force taper. Okay, well, who's taking these patients even to taper? Because we have patients going from huge doses, like a thousand MME from years of being on opioids to nothing because no one will take them. And they're treated like dogs in the emergency room. The only one who will treat these people, and I say this repeatedly, is drug dealers. That's it. That's the only people who will treat pain patients right now. Trust me, I, 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 when I'm in, when I'm in Europe, uh, you know, one of the things that I wish I could do, I, I really wish I could just get a supply of opioids and just hand them out to Americans uh, who who need it for pain, uh, because um, and and that kind of thing. I will be willing to go to jail for. I mean, just hand it out to people yeah. who are suffering pain because this is unconscionable. And I, and I know that uh, history will look upon us uh, in, in a sad way because we've been here before. And um, it, it's yeah. one of these things that, um, uh, that it's so easy to see if you just yeah. are guided by evidence. Yeah. But so many people don't know how to do that. No, and we have people like I, I don't think people understand. We have people who are not suicidal, do not have emotional, mental illness, depression. Like I just had another one yesterday. She emailed me. She said, I'm a single mom of two kids. I've lost my medication. I have a death plan, but I'm not suicidal. But I think I might just give up repeatedly. People telling us their death plans. Someone signed up. Wasn't it in Switzerland, Claudia? They were just approved. Of, they were approved to go to Switzerland for, to you know, for assisted. Yeah. yeah. Because they I, lost I, their medication. And there's really no help. Like, I don't know what, I don't know how much louder we could scream or what to do. And then, you know, the same legislators, the same harm reduction so-called harm reduction people who are like, you know, we're, we're doing great things are like, no one cares about us anymore. Like, it seems like we're like left, they don't even mention us in media. They'll say, oh, well, we need to stop prescribing opioids, but we also, so we don't start new addiction, even though there's no evidence that that will prevent addiction. And then they're like, and then those who are already addicted, we need to provide care for, and then we'll be great. But no one talks about the eight to 13 million chronic pain patients who are on daily opioid therapy. What the hell are they going to do? And that's what's happened. And we don't know. We don't know what to do. Like, this is why I was like, maybe he can give us tips of like what steps to take, how to get the DEA to back offer, how to get anyone to even like, listen to how big this problem is. Well, it sounds like we, we have to come up with a plan to work together and we have to first uh, decide uh, what we're going to publish together. And then um, in doing that, uh, we can come up with other plans and we will use our platform here at Columbia as much as we can to uh, highlight this issue. Although the people at Columbia, by the way, are benefiting from the hysteria. Uh, um, of course. And so, but, but that's okay. We still have the platform. Um, to uh, highlight this uh, egregious problem. Um, uh, So we can think about um, if we want to go after those doctors who are uh, testifying in court, just 
use their words and uh, against them and highlight this sort of thing, we can put them on blast. Uh, we can figure out a way to do that. Hey, Carl, I'm reading some of the reviews from Drug Use for Grownups. And I got to tell you, every I, I, I've been meeting with some psychologists around the country, and they always mention your book to me. Uh, they always say, have you ever heard of Dr. Carl Hart? And some of the reviews, uh, it's a fascinating combination of memoir and social science, retching scenes of deprivation and violence accompanied by calm analysis of historical data and lab results. That's from John Tierney, New York Times. Uh, Moving and inspiring, Hart's memoir is deeply honest and often painful by the Boston Globe. Uh, Scientific American says Hart's account of rising from the projects to the ivory tower is as poignant as his call to changes the way society thinks about race, drugs, and poverty. I think, now, I think, I think that's high price. That was easier for the society to deal with because yep. Yep. it's an up from get the ghetto story that right. America is comfortable with from a black that's man. Right. That's they're, right. They're when less comfortable that. with me saying I use drugs. Right, they are. And then you'll get accused. I think I heard someone accuse you of coming from a place of privilege and you're like, well, yeah, that's why I wrote this book so that you could understand what it's like. And, like. and this is the other thing I don't understand. Our country finally was focusing on racism, right? Finally talking about racism. <laughs> Not one mention of racism in healthcare, except Andrew Kalabi saying, oh, well, racism protected black people because they couldn't, they should be grateful. And then no, no one talking about systemic racism with the war on drugs, like that's so rooted in it and, and prison system and all of that. No one mentions it. Instead, they're going to be like, well, let's just talk about the Sacklers. Let's just talk about Purdue. Let's tear down some statues and that'll be enough. What the well, hell? Like, we're talking about racism. Why isn't anyone taking that platform to talk about the war on drugs? Well, you, it's a very interesting uh, position where we're at. This is one of the reasons why I asked, like, when we talk about harm reduction, just talk about what we're doing yeah. as opposed to a name. Yeah. Because one of the things that has happened, certainly with certainly like the, some of the black uh, the liberals on like MSNBC and those yeah. the, those folks, uh, they're equally ignorant about drugs as the people on the far right. Uh, and, and they all have kind of agreed that they say things like, oh, the war on drugs have been bad, but they don't really know what you don't know what they know or what they're really saying because they also have agreed that opioids and drugs are bad right. and they continue to participate in this vilification that ensures that the very thing that they say they're concerned about, people being arrested, they, it, it will ensure that these things continue. Right. And so, and so the, those people, um, um, they are more afraid of harming their platforms mm-hmm. uh, than they are than they, than they care about the actual people. I mean, I think uh, one case in point is what is happening with the basketball player Brittany. Um, oh, isn't that Griner. terrible? She's been yeah. sent to a penal colony. And I didn't even see it. What happened? I didn't even hear. Oh my God, that poor girl. She, you know, what her crime was she had some CBD oil in Russia. They have her in a penal colony, like a work camp. Yeah, but the thing that's really interesting is the virtual silence of the people on the the left, um, uh, or, or or the people who would you would you would think would come to her defense. Uh, it's been virtual silence in part because people are more concerned about their platforms um, than this actual person. 
Um, and, and, and so that's been really instructive to watch how this plays out. And these very same people have as their heroes people like Martin Luther King and all of these folks, and they are cowards when it comes to actually standing up for uh, against what is wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right, because that is really, Claudia, that's the answer as to why legislators won't listen to us. Like my local rep, she was like, yes, we'll write a bill. I'm a nurse. I know how bad it is. And then when it came down to it, she was like, uh, I can't do that. No one will support it because they don't want if they're like, I can't be seen as someone who promotes opioid access for pain. Are you crazy? It's like it's a career killer. But you're right. I mean, they're more concerned and, and they're OK with the collateral damage. I mean, there's going to be at some point we're going to hit 200,000 deaths in a year because no one if they keep doing what they're doing, they're, they're like uh, like the DEA. Oh, 60 percent of all counterfeit pills will kill you okay so what do we do let's remove all safe supply and only have counterfeit pills i mean it's insane but no legislators will help us once- well, no we we've had luck here i mean so carl when i first created our organization i started working on uh, a bill with my lawmaker four years right it took me four years people they shut the door in my face they would hang up on me it was hundreds of meetings and it was Bev was it year five governor Dan McKee signed my bill into law yeah and it was I I was begging like begging and now the the rep he's now uh, our secretary of state and the same year we also have a safe injection site now in Rhode Island and everybody came out to support the safe injection site legislation. It was myself and two other advocates. I was on an island alone. And I said, these friggin' hypocrites. Yeah. Here they are fighting for that safe injection site, which is great, right? But nobody wanted it in their neighborhood, just so you know. I was, I was, oh, I, I love it. Yes, applause. Insert applause. But not in my neighborhood. You know, I thought if I could get Rhode Island, just the smallest state, if I could get everything taken care of in Rhode Island, then other states could take my legislation. And I think four have taken a version a version of it, but it's happening at a glacial pace. And then we get burnt out. And not to mention the hate on social media that you, if, if Carl ever knew what we've been through well, on I'm social hearing media. hearing what he's been through and reading, yeah. like, I thought everyone would love him after because I read his book. I was obsessed and I'm like, oh, everyone must love this. And when I saw how he got treated, I was like, we're not alone. Like, like, I can't even Carl. Like, I listened to one interview this morning and I was like, what is wrong with these people? Like, what? <laughs> they're so hateful. Carl, yeah. are, let me tell you. So you're in Switzerland half the year, you said. Yeah. What is your life like in Switzerland? Uh, it's so lovely. I go to the, I wake up and I go to the grocery <laughs> store every morning. I, I work out, uh, um, and I, I live right next to a park, the, the, like a, a beautiful park, park back Stian. It's, it's, it. so I walk around that beautiful city and people don't really recognize me. And so I can just be anonymous. Uh, and then if I want to use a psychoactive substance, I do, and it's so lovely to walk in a beautiful city and, and see all of the, the young people, the kids, the cops are not harassing the kids who are in the, in the park, uh, doing what kids do. When I say kids, I mean teenagers and young people. Uh, it, it, 
it's just it's lovely. The society takes care of its people, and people have a respect for other people's uh, space. It's, 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 I sure. love it. You know, I'm 54, and I ask myself, how did we get to this ugly, ugly place? And how how do we move forward? Uh, but you've given me. I'm I'm so glad that you know you came onto the podcast because you've actually you've given me energy that was so depleted and i know bev's energy is getting there too we have to take breaks is that we're volunteers we don't make any money doing anything that we do well but... i can help i can help show i can i can help you guys maybe make some money so when we get off of the phone we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll i mean off of this podcast we'll, we'll talk about doing some things <laughs> i i know you have those two extra bedrooms for bev and i <laughs> Absolutely. And we're headed to Switzerland. I hope you like old people because my uh, mom is coming with us. Hey, I'm, I'm old, so she's probably my age, so I'm good. <laughs> well, I want to know, like, Carl, I would love, um, be, before we get off, I know that, you know, pain patients are at the point where I hear a new a bad resolve in people's voices. Now it used to be like, we just had a double suicide last week. I don't know if you heard about it. I'm a doctor arrested in California. This guy had reached out to me a few months ago for help. It was his third round of being abandoned because his doctor was shut down by the DEA and he was literally begging for help online. He said though, I'm not doing this again. And I've heard that from so many people because it's the same patients getting abandoned repeatedly because a doctor takes them in and then they get arrested and then they're abandoned again. And so I hear people repeatedly now saying, I'm done. I'm done. We know these people are going to die. There's nothing we can do. So I guess my question is, do you see hope? Like you've given me so much hope to think maybe we could collaborate and, and, and you could like help us maybe like with some tips on how to get to where we need to be. But is there hope of this turning around as far as this narrative with prescription opioids for pain? Well, without, without hope, um, I too would commit suicide. So I, I get that. So I have to have some hope. And at the moment, I, I still have some. And I still have the belief that we can change this and turn this around. I believe we can do it. Uh, that's why I'm still trying to write. And I'm still uh, traveling, uh, giving talks in which I, I'll be in Rhode Island, I believe in February at, at Brown giving a talk. I really hate interacting with academics in those spaces, but I will. Uh, because it's so important, uh, particularly that group. Um, and so I continue to do those kind of things because I know there are young people who are coming up through the academic ranks who are able to see through the bullshit. And, and I'm hoping um, that they change the, the situation. So I do have hope. Uh, but when I get depleted, I have to go to Switzerland. Um, and that's why I go to Switzerland yeah. to rejuvenate. Yeah. All right, I'm going to wrap this up so we can talk with Carl. Hey, everybody, thanks so much for taking time out of your, uh, you know, your week just to be with us at the Doctor Patient Forum podcast, Doctor Carl Hart. It was truly a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, thank you for just giving us this renewed energy, and we're going to have all of Doctor Carl Hart's the links to his books, to his YouTube, everything's going to be on our website. Have a great, great week, everybody. Just a quick disclaimer that what you hear in our podcast is not to be considered medical or legal advice. We will always provide links in the show notes to give evidence for what we are saying. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, 
please follow us on Spotify, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share with anyone that you think might benefit from this information. If you have any comments that you would like to leave us about this episode, as always, please reach out to us at Bev at the doctorpatientforum.com or Claudia at the doctorpatientforum.com. We look forward to bringing you the next episode of the Doctor Patient Forum podcast.